Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, uh, depending on when you are listening to us. If you're listening to us live, then thank you very much for joining us straight away after that interesting game, shall we say. And we are going to be digesting it uh, straight after the final week. It's hot on a Sunday night and oh, somebody's, uh, somebody's having a bit of a meltdown with their phone. I think that's Merv. Docked points for Merv there. Oh, <laughs> right, um, so uh, we've, got, uh, oh, we've got a massive feedback. Merv, you might need to switch your, uh, your camera or something like that. I've had to mute Merv. I don't like doing that, but uh, I normally save that for my uh, team at work. But uh, he seems to be having a few technical <laughs> problems. But uh, welcome to the post-match pubcast. Uh, let's get the uh, the running order in in uh, in straight. And first and foremost, we need to discuss the beverages that are on, on at the virtual pub. So, so, Mark, what do you what's your tipple? What are you drinking tonight, mate? Uh, nice little Saint Emilion, mate. Oh, look at you, Andrew! Andrew, our friend, our fellow uh, Guna. He'd be absolutely Game of Thrones glass. He he would yes. A a goblet, yes. A Tyrion Lannister glass, yes. Indeed, you drink and you know things, and the things that you know are that Arsenal can't actually defend a lead. Uh, yes, well, um, seemingly so. Yes, sorry, it's like having a conversation with a Dalek. Um, <laughs> that's just me. That's just me. Yeah. I like to. Uh, I like to swallow robots in my spare time. But um, yeah. let's bring the, let's bring our other guest in. We did have Merv with us, but I think he's got some technical diff difficulties. So he's going to join us in a minute. But Olaf, what are you drinking tonight, sir? Before I we have to talk about Tanqueray Civil uh, Gin with uh, some tonic. Thank you very much. Wow. Wow! Yeah, well, we've gone all uh, we've gone all posh. I'm just going for a standard Cronenberg here, and I've got the old uh, the old uh, keg uh, penciled you, in for uh, Heineken after that. So, are you in the um, uh, middle of cooking dinner, Chris? You got your I Batman. Am. Can, you, can you tell? Can you tell? Yeah, <laughs> yeah are we, very nice. Are we, are we completely avoiding the fact that there was a football match on tonight because not, uh, we're not all a little all. bit too a little, all a little bit too worried? Uh, Merv, I think you've joined us, and I think you're alive and not a Dalek. Can you say hello? Hello. He's with oh, us. Yeah. Brilliant. Technical difficulties over. Let's let's start talking football, shall we? So, okay. Merv, first and yeah. foremost, um, what are you drinking? And secondly, talk to me about the lineup. And uh, were you happy with the decisions that Arteta made uh, with the changes that uh, had come from the Aston Villa game? Well, first things first. It's a home game, so it's Camden Hills. Um. Secondly, uh, yeah, I was actually. Uh, I was quite excited at the chance to see Erdegaard, Smith Rowe, and Saka in the same team. I was a bit concerned that uh, uh, not it makes a bit lightweight, but it would be one of those almost uh, Wenger ball type games where we were do doing lots of passing, lots of short passing, and maybe leads were going to be um, a bit more physical, need a lot more pressing and stuff. But but overall, I thought that it was right time to bring Aubameyang back as the main central striker. Lacazette's been doing fine. Um, so, no, I wasn't disappointed with it at all, I suppose. The, 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 the change at the back with Louise coming back in um, possibly was a good partner for Gabriel, although I, yeah. I suppose I was expecting to see holding again because recently he's been he played all good. the time. Yeah. 
it doesn't matter how poor he is or how great he is, he just plays. So anyway, yes. I'm going to leave my holdings bar holding biases to one side because Mark will very much tell me off. And let's bring in Mark. Just talk to me, mate, about the first sort of 10 minutes because I, I've got to be honest with you, I watched that first 10 minutes and thought, where was this last weekend against Aston Villa? Because it was fast, it was quick, we were incisive, we were releasing the ball quicker, I felt. Yeah, well, we've done, I mean, if you look back at two previous games, I think it might have been Palace at home. We started exactly the same as we did today. Really good, fast start. But once we didn't get anywhere with it, we we dropped off quite quite badly and then that game just petered out. Then you look at the Wolves game where we, we did it and we actually did it for the whole 45 minutes, which which was similar to how we ended up today. So today was today was good. It was a great start. It was nice and fast. Uh, got in amongst them. You know, you have to press them. And uh, I think it's exactly the thing to do when you've got the players that we had. So as Merv said, I was really looking forward to seeing uh, the interplay that there was going to be between uh, Erdegaard and Saka and uh, Smith Rowe. And then with Aubameyang playing centre four, I was really looking forward to that. And I think it did, you know, it came across, it, it worked really well. Um, mm. And I think, you know, Saka is so key to this because their defence was just completely terrified of him. Anytime he got the ball and he got anywhere near their box, they were just so scared of going near him. And, you know, obviously we'll talk about the incidents, I'm sure, in a minute. But uh, that just then allows the other guys to play as well, so um, no, I thought it was it was a good lineup. Yeah, admittedly, the holding for Louise it, it w- was uh, interesting. Is that just simply resting holding because he's played uh, a hell of a lot of games lately, or was it tactical because Louise is a better passer than uh, holding? Mm. Who knows? It's d- d- difficult to say. Yeah, that was my kind of gut feel is that I wonder if Arteta wanted better ball distributors at the back, particularly with the way that Leeds play. So transitioning from back to front as quickly as we could and accuracy. Now, holding is a brilliant uh, penalty box defender. You know, whip balls in, he's going to nod them away. If anything's sort of close control inside the box, he's normally positionally okay. Um, And so if, if... we need to. Holding is that type of player that's going to be useful. But if we're going, if leads are going to transition on us f- uh, quickly, uh, front to back, and if we're going to then transition on them in response to that kind of basketball match, which it seemed like it was at times, because that's the the style they played, um, I got the feeling that Arteta probably thought, actually, do you know what? Somebody like Louis, somebody like Gabriel, who can uh, move the ball out of defence and and pass quickly is is going to have that, that sort of impact. But Olaf, uh, so we, as Mark said, it's all about having those pockets in which we're very, obviously we're really, really good, but we haven't often made uh, the advantage uh, stick. But we did today, didn't we? And Aubameyang off the mark very quickly. It's nice to see an early goal, isn't it? Yeah, um, just uh, just to support Mark, I think that uh, before the kickoff, Arteta was saying Holding had played many many minutes uh, over the last uh, while, so um, he felt that uh, that he needed a bit of a rest. Um, so that's just a, a kind of a, a pre-game kind of thing. Um, I think the big difference as well today was uh, uh, coming out of the blocks fast, but actually making it count. In other words, the opportunities that arose to actually go and score the goals made a fundamental difference. And as you were saying, Chris, I think it has a lot to do with confidence. I mean, if we, we came out the same <clears throat> previously, and then the problem, of course, is when it doesn't become a goal and it's effort after effort after effort, you then start uh, s- uh, sitting back a little or, or you become very uh, wary of actually trying anything. 
And I think that that's uh, what's kind of caught us. But today it was uh, uh, stupendous. Um, yeah. And I think that Aubameyang was certainly uh, pretty fired up today. Um, and I think that uh, he, he absolutely made a difference. But I think what also made a difference for him today was having uh, the triumvirate of creative players between Odegaard and uh, Smith-Rowe and Saka providing opportunities for him to run into space and for, for, um, and for the penalty, as an example, which we'll discuss later. I think that made a huge difference. In fact, for me, on the one hand, I was wary, knowing how creative leads can be when they counterattack or attack, per se, whether we were strong enough uh, in the, the front parts uh, uh, lineup, the front lineup, as well as potentially in midfield to hold them back. Um, but but the but I think that I'm glad that we took that chance today uh, because I think that the creative players made the absolute difference and that's why we were I think for me it, it was for, uh, it was the most relaxing 45 minutes of a half that I've watched this season the first half um, yeah and I enjoyed it immensely and and when we started off the second with the, the same kind of gusto I was pretty ecstatic and looking forward to a lovely chat with you fine esteemed and uh, knowledgeable gentlemen. Yeah, well, that was the thing, wasn't it? It was that, you know, we haven't had too many games where we felt comfortable this season. But even before we scored that first 10 minutes, I thought to myself, we're up for it today. This was a bit like what we saw from the Wolves game. You know, the team looked on it and the performance seemed to uh, seem to seem to you know, back that one up, really. And a few shout-outs here. So uh, Barry on the, on Facebook has said, you know, he's happy for Oba and the team. Uh, Odegaard did well in his first start as well. So Mer, thoughts on Odegaard? How do you think he did in general? Let's uh, let's let's talk about him for a little bit. For his first start, I, I thought he did fine. I, I, I What I liked was almost from the off, you know, we, we set the tempo. I think on a previous chat a few weeks ago, I was complaining about a total lack of energy around the side. I'm sure we'll get on to a substitute about um, who displays that soon. Um, but we were pressing from the off. We were setting the tempo. We were busy and making things happening, um, looking incisive. Danny was keeping things ticking over. And, I, and uh, Odegaard, I felt at the beginning, because I, 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 I was making notes, you know, quick passes, always showing a real Arsenal type of player, I wrote down. He, he seemed to start in that way. He could have fitted into a team from kind of, you know, earlier in the Emirates years, if you like. Um, mm. And that's the way I felt about him. Um, the, 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 and, and I think we're having him and Emil Smith-Rowe and Bukayo Saka moving around. And, and Leeds were struggling to pick them up where everybody was showing. Danny was popping up on the edge of the box. Um, uh, Granite Xhaka was looking incisive. It, it's kind of, it, it, it was a strong beginning. And the difference for me was that we got the goals. Mm, yeah, and maybe had we not scored the first goal when we did, and then got the penalty, maybe uh, it, we would have begin to have the energy drain. But uh, Odegaard, I think, played an important part in that. I think he's somebody that you might not notice as much, but he he turns up in in lots of different positions. He keeps it ticking over. He's got a good pedigree. Uh, clearly, they they. Uh, were protecting him to a certain extent. I mean, taking him off earlier, I presume that means he hasn't had much game time this season and they want to use him again on uh, Thursday. Yeah, I mean, I felt that. It felt to me like it was a solid, tidy performance without being, you know, absolutely inspirational from Erdegaard. He 
the way he moves the ball, the pockets of space that he was finding. Um, there was a moment in the second half where he found himself in that sort of space which Smith Rowe's been occupying, and he just knocked the ball out to Bellerin. Bellerin knocked it on. I mean, we did nothing came of the move in the end, but it was. A, I think you'd describe that as a a solid performance, really. But that first half, Mark um, Obamiang, it's good to have the the clinical finisher back, isn't it? Because, you know, that first goal, couple of little step overs, and then uh, he's gone to the keeper's near post. Maybe I thought the goalkeeper could have done a little bit more. Um, but then let's talk penalties because that was his second goal. Um, I genuinely I genuinely believe that we weren't allowed penalties. I, I thought that was a thing. So apparently, um, you know, after Stuart Atwell had ruled out the uh, via VAR the first penalty uh, turned down, which I find fascinating because um, the amount of contact there appears to be that is not allowed in the box these days. Uh, I cite Mo Salah last weekend as an example, uh, Liverpool Man City, and then you've got the David Luiz uh, Wolves situation. There was contact. Now I don't want any contact in the box to be a penalty but the problem that we've got is that they've set a precedent the the var and the referees have set a precedent by having basically minimal contact resulting in a penalty so so i guess my question to you mark is number one saka the first penalty that was disallowed thoughts on it and then uh number two i guess it was just clever really from saka just to nick the ball away from the keeper wasn't it um yeah, I'd say it was probably more dumb of the keeper. I mean, the keeper, the keeper had the ball for ages and then fannied about, and you know, Saka's closed him down and realised that the keeper's fannying about, and so really he's got into him and and has nicked the ball off him, and then the keeper's made a desperate attempt to try and get something on it and takes him out penalty. So you know, the, the, that that one was a that one was a no brainer. The first one, I think, is 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 very. You know, it's got to be contentious because you look at that and you think Saka's moving at speed. He's going into the, you know, he's in the box and that guy's come across. Now, the guy's got absolutely nothing on the ball. And he, I mean, he hasn't made a huge amount of contact with uh, with Saka, but he, his contact wasn't what you would call a, a genuine attempt at making a tackle. You know, he's not sliding in, trying to get his foot on the ball or anything like that. But he's he's made enough contact on Saka for it to be a foul. I think anywhere else on the pitch, mm -hmm. and that would be a foul. So yeah. why he's con what why whoever whoever it was, uh, who was it? Andre Mariner as uh, Stockley Park has considered that, you know, that's a clear and obvious error. I don't know. And then why the referee, when seeing it from several angles in slow motion, still feels that he's made a mistake. You know, I don't, I, I just don't get it. I mean, that that to me it was a foul and a foul in the box is a penalty. You know, you you look at the 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 um, the, the, the prosecution of the of the offender after that, but the first thing is it's a penalty. You know, yeah. so I I I thought it was a it was an odd decision. Uh, I guess we're all getting a bit used to um, to these odd decisions. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you saw the the United one earlier. You know, I think uh, yeah, Paul, our friend Paulson gave. Um, gave a, a pen uh, and then reviewed it and, and and overturned it. And and I suppose at least you could say it's nice that they'll actually admit they've made a mistake when you get an idiot like Mike Dean who just hasn't got the humility to admit he's made a mistake. So he doubles down on it and makes two in two games and, you know, then says he's getting deference. Um, but I just, yeah, I mean, that, that I thought it was a foul. 
anywhere on the pitch, so therefore it's a penalty. Yeah, and if I if I can jump in, I, yeah, uh, if, if you compare it to, and again, I still think that the uh, the Louise um, penalty a few weeks back was debatable anyway, um, and we don't won't even get me started on why the hell the keeper didn't get a card, not even I mean a yellow at minimum, but uh, was he not depriving him of a goal scoring opportunity? Do you and, know? Do you know do you know what, Lola? Just I'll, I'll let you talk in just a second. What I will jump in and say, and Mark will uh, be rolling his eyes here because, as we've talked about our banter on uh, and on Twitter, where he constantly thinks that I want everyone to get a yellow card. You can't be give. I don't think you can give, be giving away yellow cards for everything now. And to <laughs> me, it was just a bit silly. You know, if that's the sort of foul, as Mark said, if that's the sort of foul that happens outside the box, it's just a foul and carry on. So in this instance, yeah. It, it's just I mean, it's just a bit silly. We got yeah, the penalty. I mean, the that was is, our reward, and and that's it. The rule was brought in like four or five seasons ago. The double indemnity rule, yeah, which which meant that refs then didn't just have to send every single player off for for giving away a penalty. Yeah, so the rule says that that, that if if you feel that there's been a genuine attempt at, at a challenge for the ball at a tackle. You can give the player a yellow card. Yeah, I don't. I agree with Olaf. I don't understand why he didn't get a yellow, but it was. It's not a red under those rules, which is why there are lots of ones you see where players don't get a red card because if you're making a genuine attempt, it's deemed an accidental foul. Not every foul in the box is a red card, so that's mm. that's the difference. Why I think the yeah. keeper had done enough to try and make a genuine attempt for the ball. He's fouled Saka, so it's a penalty without that. I'd probably say, yeah, I'm not too sure why he doesn't get a yellow card for that. For that, you know, I mean, it wasn't the worst of challenges, but he should still get a yellow card. But it's no way is it a red. There are other things you need to consider to give someone a red card when they give away a penalty. But and unfortunately, I think we, because of the whole Luis thing, we as Arsenal fans have kind of lost sight of that, and we don't want to think about it because we just want we just want to see. Uh, yeah. every, everything on an even playing field, and and it should We've be on an even playing field. We? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I mean, and I knew, you know, the, the, unfortunately, you had the the Saka foul at Villa, where everyone wanted the guy to be to be given a red for denying a goal, uh, an obvious goal scoring opportunity, which again was argued back and forth. And today about the goalkeeper, why doesn't he get a red? But you know, I mean, I think we've got a. I think football, you know, football's a very emotional game. We're all emotional about it. But sometimes you have to look at an incident and, and think about the rules and 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 not just consider the fact that the referees make the rules seem bizarre because there is no consistency. Mm. You know, there is only inconsistency and incompetence, unfortunately, with our mm. referees. This is the major problem. And what causes all this? Yeah. Well, let's move from... That's all right. Let's move on from that because uh, because ultimately Arsenal scored four goals and we probably could have had more, to be honest with you. And we'll get into the second half in a second, but I'll go back to Olaf. Um, walk me through that third goal, Olaf, because I thought that was the pick of the bunch, really. It was a really fantastic team goal, wasn't it? Yeah, I'd, um, I'm, I'm going to keep it short and sweet, but um, I'm going back to what I said earlier about the uh, the tri triumvirate up front, creating space running um, and making space for for others and then the crisp passing to eventually get it out to Aubameyang to be able to come in and again he was very calm as well when he was there he kind of took a couple of touches 
he was uh, uh, he he took uh, he fainted left and right um, and, the, and and confused the defender who was also by the way in line then with uh, the goalkeeper. So the goalkeeper wasn't quite sure which way Aubameyang was going to go, and then he did the quick to the left um, and slotted it in um, as you saw at the near post, which I think was uh, was the right position. Um, and I actually uh, I think you may have said earlier, Chris. I think I think the goalkeeper was partly to blame. I think he, that's it should be. Uh, a, um, a shot on goal that he should have stopped, but um, but the interplay um, and the build-up was was fast, and I think that that's one of the things that Odegaard also brings is the fact that he's very quick. He thinks fast and and then distributes uh, accordingly. And and Saka, by the way, over the last it's called a month, two months, um, he stepped up as well in his in his speed with which he's making decisions taking on players, one, even two, even three sometimes. Um, and I think that that's also made a, a fundamental huge difference um, in, in our attacking prowess in the final third. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think it's bodies in the box as well. So um, we haven't been getting bodies in the box, but for that goal, there were six, all right, I felt like there were six, there's probably only four or five Arsenal players that are actually in the box. And so when you've got that many different points at which you have an opportunity to score you're inevitably causing more issue for your opponent in trying to assess okay where are these players who are we going for so it was a really good team goal um maybe yeah there's an argument there that should the keeper get beaten at his near post i totally take that um uh olaf but so we, so we we get that goal from hex in we're two nil up it's right on sorry three nil up right on half time happy days i went to go and start start the cooking, gave my dad a call, had the TV on in the just in the background as I was sorting myself out with my uh, my beef wellington tonight. And then Aubameyang nods another one. Uh, really, really good goal. Merv, talk me through um, the part that we played in winning the ball back, actually, because it was Helder Costa that we, that I think it was Sabayas, who I thought was very, very good, as you mentioned, yes. wins the ball game. back. And then Smith, he plays it to Smith Rowe, a really good touch, and Aubameyang actually scoring with his header. So, yes. um, what, what what do you make was of that, cross, that goal at 4 0? Yeah, go on. Was it a cross? Was it a shot? We won't know. It, it looked like a, a perfectly set up cross. Uh, he could have been aiming for the far post. But that's, again, I suppose, in keeping with the first half, that's the, the kind of, it was almost a return to a type of football we haven't played for some time. It's energy, it's constantly looking to move forward. It's always having a man in space or prepared to make space, uh, having a striker running into the box, running at people. Um, mm. It's a style of play that, 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 you know, in recent games, except, well, the first half against Wolves was strong, but some recent games we've seen quite laboured. Uh, too much passing, too many. And that happened. I mean, as soon as we kind of stopped doing that, Erdegaard went off. It's kind of, and you know who came on. I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, we will. Um, it became very laboured. It became, you know, look, passing across and, and short passes to each other, kind of defensive yeah. midfield, as opposed to looking to go forward all the time. Um, but no, I think that the, the fourth goal is what happens when a team is playing well. It, it's it's They're willing to take chances. They're willing to kind of probe for every opening. Um, and Aubameyang clearly was a, was a different player today. Mm. Uh, once he got the first couple of goals, he was hungry. He was going for that. Yeah, two, three weeks ago, I mean, he, he wasn't in the team. I know he was away with uh, family issues. But he'd got, into a, um, he'd got into a kind of rut, I felt, where the, the kind of 
the, the poacher's finish for the fourth goal was the kind of thing he wasn't even showing for. Mm. Yeah. Um, he was looking a bit disinterested, but suddenly he's got young. And again, we, 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 you know, Ceballos probably helps because he is a very quick, like with the third goal, you know, the pass to Bellerin is kind of completely wrong-footed. Mm. Very quick passing, and he's got Smithrow and Odegaard, Saka, who are very quick-minded as well. So it, it, it's whilst I don't want to suddenly repaint the future of Arsenal based on one game against Leeds, um, I think that is is what we've been hoping to see. And the fourth goal is is the prime example of maybe an Arsenal from earlier in the Emirates period or, or, or uh, the latter Highbury period where it's just you know, win the ball back, just effortlessly move it through and they find a way to get it in the back of the net. Yeah, sometimes the most difficult thing I think in football is is winning the ball back. But then if you're going to do it higher up on the pitch, sometimes the most difficult thing as a defending team is to reset yourself. If you win the ball back off of a team in your defensive third because they're attacking, then you've got space naturally, but you've actually also normally got bodies as well. And when so when you press higher, which I thought we did, and I thought we were very good in the first half, one of the things I noticed was like the Southampton game, we pressed our fullbacks quite high. So when um, uh, Melier, the I think it's Melier, the the Leeds keeper was clipping balls above Saka's head uh, to play out to Alioski on that on their left hand side, now right hand side, Bellerin was pushed right up trying to win the ball back quickly. So that was a feature of this game which I found really interesting because. That's where we got joy against Southampton. And that's why I think we were able to um, negate Leeds. I think there's also an element of, um, I don't want to say fortune um, with Calvin Phillips being out because essentially Leeds play everything through Calvin Phillips. And he's, he's the deep lying midfielder that effectively when they pick up the ball from, so M- Melia, the keeper, when he's, when he's got that ball at his feet and he's looking at who he's going to pass the ball to, normally Calvin Phillips is there as an option as well. It, they just didn't have that today. And I think we were maybe a little bit fortunate that he was injured, but that feels like it's discrediting the actual performance itself from Arsenal because up until that point, I think the performance was really, really good. And then, Mark, Arsenal be Arsenaling, and uh, we concede um, a goal from... Um, well, it's nothing really. I mean, it was a corner. I think probably David Luiz could have could have, have been a bit stronger in it. But I do not understand why on that corner we have got Bakayo Saka, who's what, like 5'9", five, 5'10", five, against like a six foot three centre half, who's got the jump on him. Yeah, I mean, it, you, the thing is, it's it's not even really that, to be honest. It, it's... It's not about the jump. It's about being able to to physically compete with a player. You know they're supposed to uh, put put the players off their runs and make it difficult for them. And the, the guys, you know, your, your best headers are supposed to be the ones that protect the zone and challenge for the headers. Now, unfortunately, we have you know several players who are not really going to be able to do that. And 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 you know, Saka, as much as I love him, and and I think you know he's got such a, a brilliant future in the game. That's not really what you want him doing. Um, and he didn't. I mean, he didn't stay with the guy at all. Um, and unfortunately, uh, you know, I've got a lot of sympathy for David Luiz in that situation because if you're a defender uh, defending that zone and you've basically got a standing jump, it, it, mm. you know, if that standing jump is against a, a tall, uh, and I think the guy's is he a centre half for them? Uh, yeah, a tall centre half on the move. 
you're, you're generally your your short odds to win that. Uh, and the guy thumped it in. So yeah, I think cool. it's just, you know, we've we've let, I think we've probably let in some of the fewest goals from set pieces. I mm. keep remembering seeing that stat flying around a bit. But that one today, that go that that one today shows why where you can really get caught out with zonal marking, you know, because if you haven't got your players who are who are doing the the the, the marking, doing their utmost to challenge and to put those players off, uh, then you leave yourself open to things like that. And and then that was just what it was. You know, the problem the thing is you should should just actually then shut that down after that goal. You know, there's no way you should be letting them get the second goal and giving themselves some hope. You know, that should be looked at as a consolation goal, not the start of some amazing comeback as Guy would have loved to have seen. We've yeah. scored the uh, we've scored uh, we've had the least goals scored uh, against us in the Premier League uh, in the second half of the season, only eight apparently. From yeah. if I remember correctly, what I heard earlier, and also don't forget we've had a whole week for a change to prepare for this particular game. And yeah. that in itself, I think, had a lot to do with why we came out so energetic in the first half and going into that in the second half. And then at about the 50-odd minute mark, the momentum completely changed, which is when they got their goal and then another one straight afterwards. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that then, um, Olaf. And specifically, let's talk about some of the substitutions. I'm going to let all of you guys have your say on this because... So we scored four goals today. We scored four goals today. Um, that's good. Um, we were decisive. It was um, going forward. It looked good. Um, we looked a lot better than pre-Christmas when it was an absolute horror show. We looked a lot better than the weekend, which I didn't think we were, we were sorry, last weekend against Aston Villa, which I didn't think we were that great in the final third. Um, we looked to be cruising. Uh, Leeds get a cons- what feels like a consolation goal. And then it felt to me like the momentum, like, our momentum was just completely sucked out of us by some of those substitutions. So what was your, let's get your take on, you can talk about all of the substitutions if you like, but specifically the first one. And it's like, it's almost a bit like William Claxon now. So uh, I'm going to let you just have the floor for a minute and talk about what you thought about um, the the way in which it changed the game. No, Olaf, sorry. Okay. Okay I'll, okay, I'll keep it short because I, um, um, I think uh, um, um, Merv can, can uh, elaborate. I, 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 I find it incredibly... I'm, I'm not one that, uh, that disses players at the club at all. I, it's something that I don't do. They are who they are and, and they're there and, and, it's, uh, um, and not everybody's as good as everyone. And I can, you know, it's just a kind of a reality. Um, however... But... <laughs> however... <laughs> when somebody comes on and the and, and and suddenly the energy level of the whole team drops and suddenly we are starting to pass backwards as opposed to at worst looking sideways but in all likelihood up until that point we were looking forwards in everything that we were doing and then we lost our shape completely and I, and I tweeted that uh, at that um, um, at the 42 level I'm you know the concentration dropped um, and then we were losing our shape. Up until that point, we were holding the shape and doing it incredibly well and doing the pressing, as you mentioned earlier, Chris, etc. But I think that what, what just strike, and, and then again, when you look at the performance then from that point on with uh, this particular individual, William, William um, he contributed zero. And then in real terms for me watching it, it was it, uh, all of the life being sucked out. 
and then the more backward passing scenario and actually uh, the, the, the whole midfield as well as the defense taking steps back as a positioning starting point made it uh, incredibly hard to watch and tenseful for me, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I, I, I can't – and I don't think we're ever going to resolve this, by the way. Um, and, and it's going to be the klaxon that we discuss, I would argue, uh, nearly every week. And there'll be one day uh, when it'll all be, oh, wow, he had a good game. But, but uh, for the life of me, I think he brings nothing to the team. And the worst part is that I think that he actually harms the team in uh, the way that we want to play and the way that the players want to be engaging with each other. And I think that they feel it. I mean, I, I might be exaggerating here, but I look at it and it felt like the moment he came on, the whole mood in the squad suddenly changed. And that allowed uh, Leeds then to get the upper hand to, to be more offensive and put us on the back foot. And if, and, and if a substitution is doing that, you've got to query why are you bringing it on or what the logic is because it's doing harm, not good, which is the idea of, of having substitutions. My yeah. five cents. Yeah. And, and a shout out on Facebook, Steve Brown. Why, why does Arteta keep putting William on the pitch? He's rubbish um, for the money. And then obviously Trevor as well um, on Facebook has said, so if everyone else can see William is a liability, why can't Arteta, Merv, William, liability, why can't Arteta see it? And also subs in general and how that sucked a bit of the momentum out of us tonight. Hmm. Merv, what do you reckon? I, it's just... It... It's so difficult to articulate because, uh, you know, we're 4-0 up and it's just loving the short passing. There's energy, there's momentum. It's kind of, you know, this is, this is what we love to see at Arsenal. It's back. Lead score and suddenly it's, yeah, 65 minutes or so. We've got, there's no energy. We're making mistakes. We're, we're, we're giving the ball away. We're, we're kind of passing it backwards. It, it looks like Leeds have shaken it up, but it's kind of, we've done it to ourselves. Okay, Leeds started making substitutions. But it, 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 it and I don't want to focus too much on it because there were still 10 players out there who had taken part in the first hour's great performance. But one person coming on does make a difference. And players know, they probably see him in training and he looks great in training. But, you know, the players, particularly the more experienced ones, must, or even I suppose the younger ones they've seen over the last few weeks when he's bought, when he comes off the bench he doesn't do anything to help the team he doesn't change the direction of travel of the game um, and yeah he was a great player I was pleased when we signed him um, I, I saw a lot of stuff he did for Chelsea the last couple of seasons particularly last season I thought having an experienced head like that would help bring on players like Saka it would be good for the squad but it, it my my first thought was if if the, the COVID was over last week and suddenly there were 60,000 of us in that stadium today. I don't know we'd have been booing, but the moment the number 11 went up, there'd have been audible groans mm. around the ground. The atmosphere from 4-0 up would have gone flat the minute the energy started draining and it would have become a bit, you know, the, 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 it would have become that kind of almost niggly kind of atmosphere you sometimes get. Um, and it, it, it's. I think that the, the reason this season is is quite different in a lot of games is because there's there's no crowds there, uh, yeah, yeah, impacting referees and and kind of to get behind a team or to kind of like you know uh, to to almost like get on top of a team to lose confidence. But I I almost feel that 
the, the complete change, the, the shift in our dynamism and our energy um, once he came on and the team suddenly, and okay, mentally we'd conceded a goal, we conceded a second one, there was a bit of concern. Arteta, one of the commentators picked up about kind of, you know, concern now on Mikel Arteta's face and we're still 4-2 up. Um, it's kind of, you know, it, it's, why is he concerned? Listen, um, Merv, I was there at St. James's Park all those years ago. <laughs> I saw it with my own two eyes. Uh, although, I will admit that, and as somebody said this, I think it was 7 a.m. kickoff said this on uh, Twitter, you know, we went down to a Joey Barton, uh, you know, tomfoolery, and there were two penalties, one of which was clearly not a penalty and one's a wonder strike. But anyway, sorry, go on, Merv. Yeah, no, no, you're right, you're right. I, I know it can happen, but I mean, it, none of those, none of the players out there today were there. No. So we've seen it as fans. And yes, had, had it been a full stadium, it would have got a bit edgy. You can feel the atmosphere. You can feel the tension. But I just feel that that, that you know, we know, we've seen it over the years. There are certain players we've had when a, a substitute is there and their number goes up on the board. There's like a groan around the ground. Yeah. Uh, and it changes the atmosphere. And, and I, I, I suspect, had there been a crowd there today, that's what it would have been like. Yeah. And the same thing would have happened at Villa amongst the away fans last time, you know, once his number went up. Um, and it's a shame because I'm, I'm sure he's a good player. I'm sure in training, you know, he scores world is and he, he, he kind of links play well. Um, but he never seems to be able to get into the groove. And, you know, we've got young players um, who are building their careers, who've got a lot of energy, a lot of life about them since we've been on the air I think Henry Winter's been waxing lyrical about Bakayo Saka on Twitter and stuff. Um, and it's it almost a drain on them. Mm. But I, I, don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why, why either. Just to quickly interject, Mervyn, I mean, what do you, don't you think if it's, a, if it's a confidence thing or if it's about giving him playing time, why yeah, not well, play him in the under-23s? For a couple of games, as an example, play a full 90 minutes in the under-23s and then go, fine, see, now, you, now you're getting into the rhythm of all of this as, as, as opposed to this staccato thing that you're doing. You're not good enough to start, but when you come on, you're, you're not doing anything either. Please go and have three, four games in the under-23s. It's quite competitive, um, but at least go and put in the 90 minutes and, and then bring that... Uh, positivity because the, the same principles are being applied at the under 23 levels as it is in the first team by the way which is why the players can move about as you know what what, what do you think yeah that i mean i take I, I take i take your point there um uh olaf and uh paul hewson uh and michael hinton are both uh, on facebook had a had a word to say on this so uh, michael said uh, arteta's trying to play william into william into form um, it's either that or give up on him financially. I don't see the board will let him do that. Can't see why she's getting minutes. I think there's something in that. I think that if you're going to, if you're four nil up and you're cruising to a victory, it was almost as if it's like, well, come on now, William, you know, if you can't, if you can't light it up when all of the players are popping the ball around with joy because, you know, we're smashing this team, then we, you really are done. So I'm going to give you a chance on the under 23s thing. Um, 
it's just a totally different ball game. It's a totally different level. I mean, we saw Reese Nelson in the under 23s. I'm going to bring in Mark in a second because he watches the under 23s as well. Reese Nelson just completely smashed up the place. And when you see his after his free kick, he almost turns away as if to be like, well, it's the under 23s. So, you know, whatever. Um, Mark, talk to me. I mean, we're just coming towards the end of today's podcast, but talk to me about that from an under 23s perspective. Um, playing Willian into form. But then if you could also touch on some of the other subs as well, because personally, I thought that it gave Leeds the impetus, really. I mean, you're bringing on Willian um, and not playing Martinelli. OK, everyone thinks that that's something that, that should have happened, Martinelli being played. Um, El Nenny coming on and then Holding coming on. Um, it feels like a lot of the momentum shifted towards Leeds for that. But so, so there's two questions in there for you, Mark, just before we, we wrap up today. It's the under-23s question, playing Willian in under-23s. Uh, and then the second one, which is around the other subs away from Willian itself. So holding and also um, El Nenny. Yeah, I, um, to, just to touch on the under-23s, I'm not sure the un- playing in the under-23s would help him. It's not like the old days, Olaf, where, uh, you know, the reserves... Uh, co- combination fixtures would have been a mixture of youth and 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 older players that, that weren't getting a game and you were keeping them match sharp. It's it's very very different. So I'm not I'm not convinced that would help him. Uh, I mean I could I could say lots about William. I think Arteta has a huge problem with William yeah. because he's Arteta's player. You know the whole yeah. thing with Özil Arteta could deal with because he was nothing to do with Arteta. Uh, Arteta. Uh, actively sought to bring Willian to Arsenal. So he he has to try and get something out of him. And he can't get something out of him by not playing him. On the flip side, he can't get something out of him by him keep coming on. And, and as you and Mervyn both said, by the fact that if there was a crowd at the Emirates, there would be untold, tutting, and uh, empty latte cups being chucked about with with <laughs> William coming on, yeah. So he, he this this is this is a long running saga. It's not going away. Arteta has a huge problem with William, and it's on him, and he's going to have to do something about it. Because on the other hand, you look at that and Pepe, and you both mentioned it as well. Footballers, footballers know football. Obviously, they play the game, but they know football. They know that Willian is bang out of form. He's completely out of form. So when you are a player and you want to get on that pitch, as much as Martinelli does, as I'm sure Pepe does as well, but Martinelli definitely wants to get on that pitch, and you see Willian coming on in front of you, you are not going to be happy because you know that Willian is stinking the place out. So, you know, this, as I say, this is a massive problem for mm. Arteta. You look at it in, you look at Twitter and everywhere else and Arsenal fans are one of the biggest things they're talking about is William. Why is he bringing William on? Why is William, what is William, you know, anyway, it's going to run because we gave the guy a three-year contract on lots of money and he's shit for us at the moment. So anyway, just covering William up. And that was me not talking about William. Um, <laughs> sorry, guys. The other two subs, uh, El Nenny, bringing El Nenny on, I get that. You know, Sabayos, I thought Sabayos had a very good game. He linked up very well between Xhaka and, and, and the guys in front. Um, and uh, and he actually he puts in a lot of work. He makes a lot of tackles and, 
uh, gets himself involved. I like, you know, he did well today. When Sabal's plays like that, I like him. When he, other games, not so. And I know that people have a similar opinion. Um, but bringing Elneny on as a sensible option, as limited as Elneny is, he's one of the only options we've got to bring on and try and solidify that uh, midfield with him and Xhaka there. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, that's... That says a lot about what we need to do next season, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, solidifying our midfield is having Elneny and Jacker. The holding one, I, yeah, the holding one, I really, I, I really didn't get the holding one. I just sort of thought like we chit the bed and let Leeds back into it to to four two, and then I thought we'd rode that out and we were doing all right, you know, and we were looking like you know going out the other end and nicking nicking a, 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 another goal rather than letting them them get another one. And then Arteta brings holding on, you know, and it's it's not only is it a change of personnel, it's a change of tactic and free at the back and that. And I just saw, I thought that was a bizarre one. And I do, and I think it's part of the fact that Arteta is still in his first, well, no, he's not in his first year, is he? What, he's 15 months into being the guy that makes all the decisions. And I think he's still learning a lot of things about substitutions. Uh, and he tries things and the fans, you know, we're all kind of like a little bit shaking our heads, not just not just when it's about uh, William, but other subs he makes as well. Um, I just found that a bit of an odd one. I know people say, oh, no, he's trying to solidify the defence. I'm like, no, you don't need to do that. You know, if you want to bring, uh, who was it he brought off for him? Was it Erdegaard? Yeah. 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 You know, if you want to bring Erdegaard off, I, you know, I can't even remember who was on the bench. You know, maybe, maybe you do bring Martinelli or Pepe on and just feed the ball out to them as an out ball and let them try and, you know, get up that the, the the left wing and put some put some more pressure on them rather than dropping even deeper with a back five because by that point you're really not expecting your fullbacks to be making eighty yards run and that. So uh, yeah, bizarre. I, I think again, I think it's one of the things Arteta. You know, Arteta's got a lot of support. And, you know, you can still see that there's a lot of people that are not happy with him, but he's still got a lot of support. But his substitutions are an area of concern. I would say. Yeah. Ran over. Yeah. Yeah, he's he, he's still learning. Um, we he still needs to evolve, and frankly, it feels to me like the rest of this season is a bit of a pass anyway. If I'm completely honest, because I don't think that we're going to get into the top four in a million years. I think even top six is probably a bit of a struggle, although it's not impossible, particularly given the next few games that we've got. I think on my just in terms of my sort of Jerry Springer esque final uh, final word before we wrap up tonight, I think the holding one was more because he saw Leeds trying to pump balls into the box and so it was let's play you know as I said earlier penalty box defender like Rob Holding if Leeds are going to start whipping balls in then he's just going to be have that guy nodding the ball away again but sometimes it can destable your 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 momentum and it can changing that sort of team dynamic so you're now playing with a three at the back with Louise Holding and Gabriel as well can sometimes cause problems it didn't ultimately we got the win that's the most important thing 4-2 Arsenal pick up those points. We get ever closer towards that magic 40 points mark where we don't need to worry about relegation anymore. So that's something to be uh, something to be delighted about, isn't it, gentlemen? Um, and and hey, we've got Benfica on Thursday that we can look forward to. So once again, as always, it's been an absolute delight to hear your wonderful dulcet tones. Olaf, thank you very much as always. Thank you very much for having me and have a good week, gentlemen. And I hope you had a great uh, Valentine's Day. 
Yes, enjoy your Valentine's Day. Mark, enjoy your goblet of uh, wine with your wife. Whether or not she is having any of that gob any of the wine or you've just snapped <laughs> it yourself, I don't know. Uh, but there we go. Enjoy it. <laughs> Cheers, mate. And uh, Merv, good to see yep. you as always. And you too. You too, Chris. And we will see you next time on the uh, Gunnerstown Pubcast. Have a good one. Up the arse. <laughs>